best day of the season for college football fans. Goodbye, farewell, touchdown. Hurdling is Harris. Devontae Smith is in for a touchdown. Hook on the run and gets intercepted. These guys have really earned the opportunity to play in the national championship game. It means a lot, but we're not done yet. We had a heck of a game with them last year and doubt it'll be anything different. Talk about guts. Justin Fields showing that right now. Strike across the middle, touchdown! Buckeyes up three scores. Watches downfield, he's got a touchdown! The Buckeyes stretch the lead again. And a night to remember for Ohio State. Now we got an opportunity to go win the whole thing and maybe write one of the best stories ever in college football history. Alabama absolutely rolled over Notre Dame. Ohio State stunned uh, Clemson, and now we have a national championship to break down. It takes four of us now. We're like Voltron. Going to be a bunch of us. Desmond Howard, Greg McElroy, David Pollock, I'm Jason Fitz. <laughs> we got a national championship game to get you ready for, gentlemen. A lot to get into to break down in this matchup, and this all comes back to Ohio State and the big win that they got over Clemson. So, the story of that obviously has to do with Justin Fields suffering a rib injury in the game, and then coming back into the game to play through so much pain, put himself and the team in the situation where they were able to win, which is going to raise a lot of questions about what is next. This is what they had to say today about the status of Fields. You can go, you know, every week. Uh, you know, he's always battling something. Um, and you guys saw it, you know, is, you know, one of the gutsiest performances, uh, you know, from a player that I can remember in my time here. You know, it was pretty, pretty amazing performance. And, um, you know, it's good the next day he actually, you know, his comment to me was, that he, you know, he, he felt better waking up in the morning than he expected. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll keep working through the week and, um, you know, have a great week of preparation, get ready to play uh, on Monday night. Speaking of Monday night, David Pollock, the question is, what will this injury mean for Fields and for Ohio State going into the national championship game? Well, it sure as heck didn't hurt him in the semifinal. So, I mean, listen, he showed a lot of guts. And, and I tell you what, it made him – I think it made him stay in the pocket a little bit more, not run as much, and he was just fine. He was delivering strikes. So, I, I think, listen, if you take away his ability to run the ball consistently, maybe it doesn't open up as many running lanes. But I think Ohio State's proven they can run the football anyways with Trey Sermon the last several weeks and the way he's been rolling. So, I don't think it means much, man. I tell you what, it was one of the best performances we've seen. But – I think he's good to go, Greg. I tell you this, Dave. I had broken ribs going to the national championship game in 2009, the 9th and 10th rib on the left-hand side. <laughs> and on game day, I actually felt pretty good because they numbed them up. It's the practice week leading up to game day that was problematic to where it would disrupt the rhythm of the passing game. If you can't get the same amount of reps and you're not getting the same level of quality within the reps, then that's where it could have an impact on the passing game next week. I fully expect him to have numb ribs next week and be perfectly fine. He won't even know those ribs existed, but he's not going to get those every single day throughout the course of this week to make sure he can have very productive practices. So something to monitor, too, if he is wearing extra padding next Monday as well. 
Yeah, I tell you what, guys, I just want to know what type of happy juice did they shoot him up with in that red tent? Because when I saw that <laughs> hit, I was like, oh, it's a wrap. There's no way this kid's playing. And then you saw him go to the sideline. He tried to get a little stationary bike, and he could barely lift his right leg. And the next thing you know, like you said, David, he came out there throwing dimes. I believe that this would probably affect him as far as the way they call plays, meaning do you really want to call as many quarterback runs against Alabama? I don't think he's going to fill in anything. Uh, I agree with you, Greg. I think the happy juice shot will take place before the game and again at halftime. So it'll be a numb area. But I don't think they're wanna, they want to put him in a position where he's taking shots during that game. So I think that's the, the biggest difference. How often will we see Justin Fields run the ball Monday night? So, Des, stick for a second on Greg's principle that it could affect practice. From a wide receiver standpoint, you're this late in the season, but it's a weird season. Practice has already been impacted. So, what sort of effect does it have for the offense and the way they run their rhythm this week? I tell you what, you know, listen, guys, we heard all sorts of, um, I guess, um, observations about Ohio State going to the Clemson game, saying, well, they only played six games, so maybe they didn't have enough time to, to, to get a rhythm for the continuity, and that was like something set up in case they didn't win. But the way they played out there um, Friday night in the Rose in the uh, Sugar Bowl, I tell you what, I'm not worried about him missing a couple of practices. I don't have any problems with him not you know, throwing the ball as much this week as he has. He's a talented kid. He has a very talented crew around him. I think he can miss a couple of practices or miss a couple of sessions during practice and com be completely fine uh, Monday night, David. It, it's been a year of disruption. It's been a year of practicing not to practice. And I think, um, you know, it's, I don't think another week's going to change that for Ohio State. But I tell you what, just – Ryan Day is a play caller. That's a good thing to have. I mean, just to have the ability to have a guy that can mix things up, to have Chris Olave on the outside, Wilson. I mean, they, they've got weapons. They've got playmakers. I, I expect Ohio State to come in with great balance on offense and be Ohio State that we saw from the semifinals, maybe just with a little more resistance on defense from Alabama, Greg, than we saw this past week. And Dave and Dez, I love the original point. This Ohio State team found their identity in the third quarter of the game against Northwestern, and that identity is about getting Trey Sermon the Rock 30 times in the football game, operating off-play action mm -hmm. when it's available to you, and finding isolations with an incredibly talented duo of wide receivers. That's their recipe, and that's the recipe they need to stick to, which means we're probably not going to see Justin Fields standing in the pocket. We're probably not going to see a lot of quarterback run. He's going to be protected just because that's how Ohio State best moves the football. So I can't imagine, guys, it having a huge impact on the game. I think he'll be just fine. I'm just reminded how much tougher all of you are. I'm drinking like three types of tea because I got a scratchy voice. You're playing with broken ribs. All right. Part of the recipe to success is also about motivation. Let's talk a little bit about that because it was a big part of what we heard Ohio State talking about. Remember the last couple of games, people were saying they didn't belong in the Big Ten Championship. Well, that was motivation as they went in there. And then everybody heard Friday consistently and constantly the talk of motivation to avenge last year's loss against Clemson. That sat in the minds of Ohio State all year long as they prepared for this game. It was something that was a factor in the locker room all year, and it's something they discussed today. Well, the, the goal was never just to beat Clemson. The goal was to win the national championship. 
and all these guys who you know, we didn't have a season, they were fighting to get back to play uh, for a national championship. So um, while it was an emotional win, um, that wasn't the goal. When I, when I came here, um, I, my goal was to, to do whatever I can to help this team out and, and play for a national championship. And I mean, uh, it, it's all happening. It, it does kind of seem like a dream, but I mean, it, it's just very exciting. Uh, I mean, just to know that uh, we've come this far as a as a team, and I mean, uh, we we've executed, and I mean, we we believe in each other, and uh, just just having this opportunity is it's amazing. So let's have a real moment here, McElroy. Like when you're talking so much about motivation and how it gives you that extra gear in a matchup, what do you do the game after? I mean, they're both motivated to play in a national championship. So where does Ohio State sort of go from here? Well, I remember pretty vividly making an entire year's worth of preparation about one team. And that team for us at the time was the Florida Gators. We played them in the SEC championship game. And that at the time was a semifinal environment. It was one versus two. It was against Tebow. It was in 2009. They were number one. We were number two. They had won two of the previous three national championships and had beaten us in the SEC championship the year before in 2008. I remember we made the entire offseason about beating on beating Florida, getting to their level, maximizing everything that we can do both offensively and defensively to finally beat the Gators. And you know what we had to do after the fact? We had to recenter our focus, and Nick Saban used the movie Miracle to make the point known because we didn't play as the United States of America. We didn't play the Soviets in the gold medal game. No, we played them in the semifinal game, and that was the motivation that he used. He said, look, it's great that you beat Florida. It means nothing now if you lose the next game. So I think they'll be just fine as far as motivation is concerned, but if Ryan Day wants to take a page out of Nick Saban's playbook from a decade ago, he can throw in the movie Miracle and explain it that way, guys. <laughs> I tell you what, guys, they, they need to be more than just fine Monday night playing against Alabama. They need to hit that same high that they had last Friday against Clemson. And I, I wonder if they can do it. There's no doubt in anybody's mind. We all saw the talent that they have. But will the motivation factor be there? You know, there's no Alabama score in their locker room from a year ago. There, there is no uh, Nick Saban ranked them number 11th or any of that stuff to motivate them. So we know the talent is there, but without the external motivating factors, is it internally um, motivating enough for them just to be in a championship game to play at the same level, David, that they played in the Sugar Bowl? Because it's going to take that type of effort to be able to contend with the Alabama Crimson Tide. And I think we worry about it because we've also seen this from Ohio State. We've seen up and down. We've seen great first half versus Penn State. You know, less than desirable second half. We've seen a less than desirable performance against yeah. Northwestern. And then we saw the disdain and hate that was taken out. And you could see the passion and energy all over the field. So Greg's exactly right. Des is right. you got to find a way to manufacture that juice. How do you do it, by the way? Well, everybody's picking Alabama. Everybody's still picking Bama. You're still the underdog. You're still not loved. You're still not picked. You still don't deserve this. By the way, how about the, cha- the, uh, before, the before the semifinal Sugar Bowl? How about all the talks about all the voices that chimed in on their highlight tape that said, you don't belong here. They shouldn't be here. Those voices are still going to be played. It's going to be echoed, and there's still going to be plenty of doubt. So, obviously, Ohio State, if they bring that energy and that emotion, it's going to help them because that's the game. The game is so much about energy and emotion. It's ridiculous how much that matters.
Well, it was obviously a huge part of Ohio State, but I want to take nothing away. They flat out whooped Clemson no matter what the motivation was. All right, guys, we're just getting started on this. Still to come on College Football Live, Tom Herman is out. Steve Sarkeesian is in as the new head coach of Texas. So how will Sark fit in with the Longhorns? Plus, we're going to take a look back at the most memorable moments of this past college football season. It's our Images of the Year. That's all coming up on College Football Live. Coaching carousels going round and round in college football. Tom Herman out at Texas after going 32-18 and 18 in four seasons as a head coach. Only took a few hours for then the school to announce the hiring of Alabama offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian as the new head coach. This is what Sark had to say about it. I knew I wanted to be head coach again. Um, I, I thought it could happen again. Um, but I was just hopeful that the right job would come and uh, definitely felt like this was the one. We all want Texas to be back. We all believe Texas should be back. That's why, I took, that's why I'm taking this job. But the reality of it is we have to put in the work. And then when you put in the work, then you, then you get the outcomes that you desire. So um, I'm excited. I'm pumped. I'm honored. Uh, I'm humbled um, to be named the head coach at the University of Texas. No question, Sark has a great resume. He was a head coach in the Pac-12 for seven years, was on the Alabama coaching staff for a combined three years, also won the Broyles Award as the top assistant in FBS this season, and is the first assistant coach hired by Texas to lead its program since 1951. So every single year we have to have the debate of whether or not Texas is back. The question is, can Sark get Texas back? McElroy, what do you think of the fit between Sarkeesian and Texas? Well, I'm a big fan of Steve Sarkeesian, not just as a ball coach. The guy can call a game. He can put defenses in conflict with the mismatches that he can always create. But Texas is always going to have a great football mind as their head coach. It's just whether or not they can have a guy that can also serve at the same time as a political figure within the state. And Steve Sarkeesian has the temperament to be able to handle the expectations of what's asked of the head coach of Texas. Look, I'm from Dallas. Like, I know what that school is about to a certain extent. There's a lot of egos that will need to be massaged. There's a lot of people that are going to (laughs) demand Steve Sarkeesian's time. That's just to be expected. However, he has the temperament, and I think is such a good guy, David, that he'll welcome that challenge. He's such a great people person that he'll welcome those people in while still putting an excellent football product on the field each and every Saturday as well. I feel the same way because when, when you look at um, Sark, he makes it easy on quarterbacks, right? He's, he's going to coach offense great. I felt the same way about Tom Herman when he took the job. Um, there's, there's more to this job than obviously than just meets the eye. It's not Everybody points to it right away and says this is one of the best jobs in all of college football. They've only won a couple championships in 52 years. So this isn't a job that's a perennial power. We feel like it should be, but – There's a lot of things that go on with the dynamics that makes it very hard to succeed, and there hasn't been a lot of success. So I think you have to to understand that. You have to look at that. Now, as far as Nick Saban handling this and Alabama handling this, Jim McElwain, Kirby Smart, Lane Kiff, like this is just another day at the office. Alabama's accustomed to dealing with this almost every single year. I know they'll be fine, but Sark dealing – with this job, just in the, all the other aspects of it, Des, I don't think it's the football. I don't think it's getting the guys. I think it's, like, uh, like Greg said a little bit, is 
dealing with all the egos and all the people you got to say yes to and you got to, you know, do all kinds of stuff for. Yeah, I tell you what, I mean, to put it in a nutshell, it's dealing with the politics off the field. I think that we all have confidence that Steve Sarkeesian will be able to be an effective head coach. But don't forget, he coached pretty much on the West Coast for the most part, USC, Washington. You know, now he's in Alabama, obviously rehabilitating his whole career. Now he has a head coaching opportunity at, in Austin at the University of Texas. But that's a different culture. That's a different region. I want to see how he deals with the politics of it. Uh, when we when the, announce, when the announcement came out, David, we were on air, I said that, you know, they wouldn't hire a young coach, not meaning he's a young Younger, but he's a young coach who I think can um, can relate to the players a little better than Coach Herman because the news coming out of Austin was it was just his kind of um, my way or the highway attitude that didn't gel well with the players and I think Steve Sarkeesian will be a little softer um, I think he'll be a little bit more effective but dealing with the politics off the field and Greg said it best. He's from Texas. He understands. That's the part that I want to see if, Star if Sarkeesian is able to handle. So, McElroy, let me push back a little bit, though, because realistically, this announcement was made hours after the firing of Tom Herman. And this isn't Urban Meyer. I mean, is there any surprise that this is the guy that they immediately went into without some sort of a massive search? <laughs> I'm not shocked because the team that they're striving to be now, whether Texas wants to admit this or not, and it might really upset Longhorn faithful to listen to this. So cover your ears and pretend not to hear the guy you're trying to chase is Lincoln Riley. Well, this is 2020's version of Lincoln Riley. Because we saw Lincoln Riley at East Carolina get hired by Bob Stoops in 2015 and resurrect this Oklahoma program now to the point in which they've won six straight Big 12 championships. Well, who's the best offensive mind right now in college football? The winner of the Broyles Award? It's Steve Sarkeesian. So let's bring him to Austin and let's allow him to now build a program that's going to not just be comparable to Lincoln Riley, but hopefully for Texas, a team that can not just beat them on a regular basis, David, but a team that beats them more often than not. And that's something that hasn't happened in a really, really long time. And in order to have success, the coaches you hire make you successful, okay? It's not just... It's not just Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, what I know about Sark and what y'all know about Sark, Sark is cool. He's very chill. He's very California. You better get a rough rider on defense. Your DC better be somebody. You know this. Your DC better be somebody that riles some feathers, that, that can be also be the bad guy and bring that kind of yin and yang. Players relate to both types. Players Some players relate really well to, you know, in your face. A lot of them don't, but some of them need to be stroked and patted and loved. So I think – you need all types on this staff. So I think I'd be interested to find, find out who his defensive coordinator is. And um, I think a, a, good, a strong personality, an intense personality would be very successful. So what David is saying is he needs a heavy. He needs a heavy in there to deal with the knuckleheads that he's not going to want to deal with. But, Jason, you brought up a good point. I wanted to make sure that, I, uh, that you understood that just because Sarkeesian was hired – Hours after they made the announcement that Herman was fired does not mean that Sarkeesian was their first choice. He could have been their second or third choice. What this means is behind closed doors, they knew they wanted to fire Herman, but they wasn't going to pull the trigger until either they got their first, second, or third choice to say, okay, I'll come. Then they say, okay, 
Break the news. We're going to fire Herman, and this is going to be the guy I hired. So don't assume that Sarkeesian was the first choice because I've heard from some reliable sources that he wasn't. Uh, just a couple recommendations on the defensive coordinator to put a bow on David's thought process. Is Will Muschamp intense enough? Because if he becomes the D.C. and he's familiar with Austin, I think that might be a pretty interesting yep. mix. Just saying. All right, so uh, Pollock, alluded, yep. uh, Pollock alluded to it earlier. This is not something that's new for Alabama. When we have the conversation about what it means for them, in the last 10 seasons, Bama's had quite a few coordinators on their way out before the national championship game. The last six all left to, coach, uh, to become head coaches themselves. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt, Kirby Smart, both going to fellow FCC schools. So, Pollock, you said it earlier. I'll let you double down on this. Just, uh, oh, sorry. First, let's find, figure out what, uh, what Coach Saban had to say about what this meant for, for Alabama. Sark has done a marvelous job here. He's uh, very well organized. He works well with all the people uh, in the organization, players and coaches alike. Um, he's a good play caller on game day. He does a really good job of preparing the players game plan wise for, you know, each and every game. And uh, he d he's just done a great job. And he's uh, been a real asset to our organization. And, you know, I think he'll be very successful uh, as a head coach. We've had several of these situations uh, where we've had guys playing in the national championship game and guys are getting head coaching jobs someplace else. And uh, I think it's up to each individual. You know, we're going to try to help manage it every way that we can so that it's not a distraction for us this year. All right, Pollock, you buying it? No distraction? It's not a distraction, but I tell you what, it's exhausting. If I'm Nick Saban, I got to be so exhausted, and the last couple years have been good to him, but always having to look for somebody all the time to be on staff. Now listen, his staff is very robust, and he has a lot of coaches that – you know, come to coaching therapy to get healed and get head coaching jobs like Sark and Butch Jones, on the both on the staff this year that have been ex-coaches. Charlie Strong's on that staff. We could go on and on. So, listen, it it's happened with Loxley. It's happened with McElwain. It's happened with Smart, with Pruitt. Like, we can go down the list. Lane Kiffin. A and they found a way, Des, to keep it on the back burner, to not let it upset the process and continue to be successful. So I expect it to be just fine. I expect, especially with signing day, Des being done and taken care of, there is no rush for Sark to run to Austin. He can wait a week and finish his job. Yeah, I agree with David, uh, his last point that they're, they're, they should be fine, guys. I mean, it's not, not a lot of meat on this bone. It, you know, Nick Saban is used to this quote-unquote distraction. They know how to handle it. Um, Sark's a professional. He's been there before. You know, he has a – Coach Saban has a staff of great coaches. So I don't even think this is really a big issue. Uh, you know, he's going to go in there, call a, a heck of a game, but at the same time – start to put his staff together in Texas. Greg, I just don't really think it's a big issue going into Monday night's game. I don't, Greg. Well, if you look at it, if history is any indicator, Alabama's three wins, two losses, and national championship games in which a coordinator's on the way out the door. So that, that serves you well, and that means that it's really going to come down to whether or not they have a good plan this time around. Jim McElwain was successful. Jeremy Pruitt was successful, and Kirby Smart was successful. The two that were not were Lane Kiffin, who left to take FAU before the national championship game, and then, of course, Mike Loxley, who lost to Clemson in the national championship game, very one-sided. 
national championship game. So more often than not, they've been successful and it hasn't been a distraction. I can't imagine it's going to be a distraction on Monday either. If Alabama loses the game, it's not going to be because Sark took the Texas job. It's going to be because... Ohio State was better prepared, had the better team, and had the better performance in the championship stage. Well, there's another side to this entire conversation, and it's Tom Herman. He saw it a second ago. Let's pull it back up here. In his career at Texas, Herman had 51 ESPN 300 recruits. That's the fifth most in FBS and three bowl wins. However, he also had 12 losses as an AP-ranked team, which was tied for the second most in the FBS. He giveth and taketh away. So, McElroy, what's next in your mind for Tom Herman? It's a, it's a tough call. I think Tom Herman's still a really good coach. I just think he ran into a situation that was extremely difficult. Look, the terrain in Texas is difficult. And he has a lot of history in being there. And we see the 51 ESPN 300 recruits. Well, the problem with recruiting Texas is because of the resources, because of the importance of high school football in the state of Texas, guys get overly developed. And then you go and bring them to campus, and they feel as though arriving at Texas, that's the finish line. No, that's not the finish line. That's the starting point. It's about getting a college scholarship in Texas for whatever reason, because the resource and, the, and how rich the state, uh, this, this school is in the state of Texas and all this stuff, there's a lot of finished products. So Steve Sarkeesian, he might still sign a bunch of guys like Tom Herman did in the ESPN 300, but he needs to sign guys that still have a lot of room to grow and develop because that's not something that happened real well under Tom Herman's leadership the last few years. Yeah, and that's going to be important for them to, um, to, to make sure that he get those kids on campus, but develop them. And that's, you know, he's coming from one of the best, if not the best in the business when it comes to developing talent with Nick Saban. So I think he'll be fine. As far as Coach Herman is concerned, um, I, 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 I can't think of the exact number. What was it like 10, 15 million he got to leave? I, th I think he's going to be okay. I think he can sit back, um, start, to, start to assess the situation, look at the landscape, and then pick and choose a job. He'll be coaching again in a year or two, but he doesn't have to rush out and get a job, guys. So he'll be a court. I think, David, I think he'll be a coordinator, though, first, unless – yeah, I think he'll be a coordinator first, and then he'll be um, yeah. a head coach eventually. But right now, I don't think there's no rush, David, for him to rush out and try to find a job. No rush. Um, I, we could always go to the school of Nick Saban. <laughs> I mean, if, you, if you'd like to go to rehab <laughs> yeah, your image, exactly. to get another job, <laughs> Nick Saban does it as yep. well as anybody. Takes those head coaches, takes ties to different teams. Uh, different parts of the regions for recruiting purposes, pick their brains of great minds. I, I don't think there's any doubt that Tom Herman will find a job really, really quickly. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's a big school like Ohio State, if it's like Alabama, something like that, where you bring in a guy on staff who starts to get his feet wet again, go through coaching rehab and, and get ready for another opportunity. Gentlemen, let's be very clear. If anybody hands me $10 million to walk away, I'm walking straight through the refrigerator. I'm eating cheesecake for the rest of my life. I'm not doing a dang thing. All right, uh, we'll see how it all plays out for them. But coming up next on College Football Live, Trey Sermon has been on fire in the last two games for Ohio State. What kind of impact will he have on the Buckeyes offense in the next week's championship game? We'll figure it out.
It's been pretty tough, but it's also been a, a great journey as well. Trey coming in this summer, it's been unbelievable. He's done everything that these coaches have asked. We embrace him. He's a great dude, has great character. He's a dog, and all he does is work and work and work. Him breaking out like he did is only going to open up, you know, our whole offense. Sermon is going to take it into the end zone. Trey Sermon. 325. Wow, single game Ohio State rushing record. I've made the playoffs. I mean, each year I've been in college, and now that I have another opportunity, I'm definitely going to make the most of it. Trey Sermon has been unstoppable. Showed out in the Big Ten Championship game. Rushed for 331 yards, two touchdowns. Set the record for most rushing yards in a game in Buckeyes history and the most in any conference championship game in FBS history. And then in the college football semifinal against Clemson, put up 193 rushing and one rushing touchdown. His 524 rushing yards over the two-game span was the most by any Ohio State player all time. This is what Saban said about it. Well, he's playing outstanding football right now. There's no doubt about that. He had a fantastic game against Clemson. Uh, I think they have two really good running backs. Both are very capable. So um, their offensive line does a really good job uh, of blocking your looks up front, uh, getting a hat on a hat, uh, and the runners are very talented. David Pollock, it's easy to say he's on fire. The question is why? What caused this emergence? They're feeding him. I mean, that's pretty simple. You feed him and he's eating. Um, you know, throwing him the football more, obviously you saw against Clemson, but just featuring him and, and loading up and understanding, like, let's run the football. Let's pound away. Let's not do as much zone read. Let's, do as, let's just run physically downhill right at you and smack you. And I think, um, you know, his ability to break tackles, make people miss, and, you know, he's warranted – just runs so physical and so, and, and so much energy. You watch the Clemson game – popping up after every run and, you know, had something about him. So I, it doesn't – it's not a surprise that the dude's running like that and you keep feeding him and feeding him and feeding him. Yeah, yeah I – David hit it on the head, man. That's what it is. Don't forget, now, when you're dealing with Ryan Day as a play caller and you have Justin Fields as your quarterback, a guy who they were trying to hype up as um, a, a, a legitimate Heisman contender, you want to feature that guy. And you're not going to feature him by turning to his right or left and handing the ball off all the time, by throwing the ball. But what happened was Pat Fitzgerald Northwestern, they forced their hand. They shut down that passing game. Justin Fields had one of his worst games, if not the worst game, as a Buckeye. So what they have to do, Ryan Day being the brilliant play call that he is, he leaned very heavily on the running game, and that's when Trey Sermon took over, and he hasn't looked back since then. So they were kind of forced into this position, uh, Greg, but I know right now they're very happy that they were because Trey Sermon is, is playing lights out, and he gets this whole offense going. Yeah, when your worst game in a three-game stretch, you average over six yards a carry and go for nearly 200, that's pretty amazing. And against a, a playoff team, nonetheless, in Clemson. He's been incredible. I think part of the reason why they finally got to this point is that Justin Fields and Ryan Day, they made a commitment to each other, it felt like at the beginning of the year, like, hey man, I'm going to give you some looks. I'm going to give you chances to throw the ball down the field. We're going to be a pass-first offense because that's what I trust our offense to be because I trust my quarterback more than anything else. But after not just the first 
but the second bad performance from Justin Fields against top-tier competition against both Indiana and Northwestern, he wasn't playing well. He wasn't seeing the field well. He wasn't making good decisions. He wasn't accurate with the football. So they said, look, Justin, man, you're not playing where we need you to play. So we're going to revert to the running game. We're going to trust this offensive line. We're going to trust our running backs. And then when you carry the football in some zone read stuff, we're going to trust that you make good decisions when that defensive end crashes. So it was out of the fact that they didn't play well through the air really throughout the first few games, and really that finally it was the Big Ten championship game. They said, no, no more. We're going to run the rock, and it's been amazing to watch. And as a result, I think they are a very dangerous team heading into the championship. And let's give some credit. He's done it against two defenses that are very renowned, and uh, obviously Northwestern and now Clemson. All right, up next on College Football Live, Devontae Smith is the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman Trophy tomorrow. What? A wide receiver? Win the Heisman? We'll ask one about whether or not he should be a lock and what his chances are next. College Football Live. They try and make jokes of him saying he looks like the actual Joker that played in the movies. I just kind of, you know, laugh a lot and mostly just because I just laugh with my mouth open. He's just a funny guy. Matt more goofy than, than funny. He's just goofy. You ask me to be honest, he almost sounds like a Joker when he laughs. <laughs> Everything is just funny to him. He always laughs. The Heisman will be awarded tomorrow. Mac Jones passed for 36 touchdowns, just four picks in 11 games. Also tops FBS and QBR while leading Alabama to an SEC title and a college football playoff berth. Also, Clemson looks like to have their fr- looks to have their first Heisman winner ever in Trevor Lawrence. He missed two games due to COVID-19. Could become the first winner to miss a game since Charlie Ward back in '93. Also, Florida seeks to have their first Heisman since Tim Tebow with senior Kyle Trask. He is the FBS passing yards and TD's leader and his five 400-yard passing games set a single-season SEC record. And Devontae Smith is just the sixth finalist amongst wideouts since, I don't know, Desmond Howard's win in 91. Leads the FBS in triple crowns of reception, receiving yards, receiving touchdowns. This is him earlier today. Thank you, Bob Lowe. It fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! True freshman to true freshman. Thank you, Bob to Devontae Smith. It was an indelible play. But for Devontae Smith, never an ultimate peak. I didn't want to be a, a one-hit wonder, somebody that did something one time and then just come back and there's nothing after that. I just want to keep building on it and keep growing. Not the cheers or the roars. This is the sound. Every day after every practice that describes Smith best. 100 catches minimum, ritual, that leads to results. It's helped a lot just because when I'm in the game and the ball is being thrown to me, it just feels different when it's coming to me. And then when it hit my hands, it's just like, okay, I can tell that me catching 100 passes every day is really paying off. Here's the snap. Matt looks, end zone, up goes Devontae, touchdown! Now a senior, Smith has become one of the sport's most electrifying players this season. He has the most receiving touchdowns in SEC history. It is good! 
front and soaring into the end zone. Devontae Smith scores it. A front runner for the Bolitnikoff Award, and he's emerged as a serious candidate for the Heisman Trophy. All made possible by his choice last spring to forego the NFL draft and return for his senior season. I got people here saying stay, people here saying go. So it was really hard. The day before I just officially put it out, it's probably when I made my decision. The number one reason was to get my degree. Relentless work and constant study. Smith has learned from his elite former teammates and absorbed their examples. What have you learned from Calvin Ridley? Touchdown, Calvin Ridley! He really taught me just that your job is to catch passes, your job is to get open, so do your job. Jerry. Jerry Judy, he's got it, and the time is quickly. Just the way he, he sets people up with the body language of, of the release, just how it looks to a DB. Henry. Fastest player of the program, Henry Rose. He like, I'm just going to run by speed. Like, you can't teach speed. Just run. Trust your speed. We might watch the highlights again and again. Devontae Smith doesn't. He's working, reaching, rising to earn whatever comes next. Me as a player, I've gotten a whole lot smarter. I approach every game the same. I come out there, I'm going to give my all, and I'm going to go out there and try to execute the game plan the best way I can. That was Tom Rinaldi sitting down with Devontae Smith. He's the clear favorite to win the Heisman, Devontae, that is, followed by his teammate Mac Jones. This is the seventh year in Heisman history featuring multiple finalists from the same program. Now, this is Devontae Smith earlier today talking about his focus and the Heisman possibilities. Right now, I'm not really worried about the Heisman Trophy. I'm just trying to come in with, my, with the team this weekend, just look forward to getting on to the game plan for Ohio State. Do you take some pride of sort of like representing not just yourself, but receivers? Um, I guess you can say that, just showing that um, it really just the person that goes out and just puts in the work, they're going to get the things that they deserve. So if you work for things, you're going to get the things that you deserve. So we happen to have a wide receiver that won a Heisman here. Desmond Howard, when you see this with Devontae, in your mind, is he a clear lock for the Heisman? I think he is. Now, you know, we've seen some strange things happen in the past. And then earlier, probably I'll say midway through the season, people were concerned because he obviously has a, a teammate, Mac Jones, who's a legitimate Heisman candidate too. They were concerned whether those two would split votes and then someone else would win the award. I don't think that's going to be the case, especially since he's just had such a strong finish too. And then you can feel the tide shifting, Greg, from the quarterback talk. Because it was like, oh, yeah, Mac Jones, Mac Jones. But then all of a sudden overnight, people really started to notice Devontae Smith and what he brought to the offense. And then it became solely Devontae Smith. So I think he caught fire late enough in the season where his name was mentioned so often that I think uh, by the time the votes went in, it wasn't a matter of him splitting votes with his quarterback, Mac Jones. That's how I think. That's what I think about it, Greg. Well, I can understand that thought process, Des. I think that's very common. 
if you have two guys from the same team, and since the, actually you can divide it three ways because Najee Harris finished fifth in the Heisman Trophy voting, <laughs> then you could very easily <laughs> say, well, the votes are just spread too thin. They're spread too thin. But here, so let me, let me push back. How about the votes being spread not amongst teammates, but how about amongst a group of position players? So, for instance, tell me, guys, without an, a shadow of a doubt, tell me unequivocally who had the best season by a quarterback this year. Because I don't think you can. If you want to value statistics, you'll go with Kyle Trask. If you want to value just sheer talent level, you go with Trevor Lawrence. If you want to go with efficiency and just distributing and being amazingly accurate on throws down the field, you go with Mac Jones. But I think all three seasons are almost indecipherable, and you can make a clear argument in favor of each of the three. However, you can tell without a shadow of a doubt that Devontae Smith had the best season by any player in college football based on the numbers he accumulated and his impact on the game. Well, and I think um, I think what really helps this argument is Trevor Lawrence missing a couple games. I think that I think it makes it mm. easier. I'm not, I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence would have won yeah. it regardless, but I just think because when you look at Trevor Lawrence and you look at what he does for his team, especially running the football and, and throwing, like he's he's had to be so much more dynamic this year. I think it could have been a case, but I do think Alabama will split votes. I know Greg brought up a great theory and all his analytics and all that stuff about spreading that stuff around, but I, I do think that. Um, <laughs> Trevor, I, th- I do think that Mac Jones is going to get – by the way, Mac Jones is also the guy that's delivering the ball to, to Devontae Smith on a platter a lot of times beautifully. So I get it. I'm the, I'm, I'm, Devontae Smith has been outstanding, and he looks just like everybody else. Um, but I also, you know, bring up mm-hmm. – I do think it's, it's tough. It's tough to be a wide receiver and win. Ask Dez. Nobody's done it since him. Um, back in '71, so it's been it's been a while, bro. Like it's been a minute. Wow, Pollock throwing some shade. Okay, tomorrow you can check out the ceremony. Obviously, seven Eastern on ESPN and the app. We'll have the 86th annual Heisman Trophy ceremony, the first ever virtual presentation. Again, the four finalists: Alabama quarterback Mac Jones, Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith, Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence, and Florida quarterback Kyle Trask. Still ahead on College Football Live, six NFL head coaching openings right now. Which college football coach would make a good fit for those openings in the NFL? We'll break it all down next on College Football Live. Alabama. Ohio State. The national championship game, Monday, January 11th on ESPN. Coaching changes all over the NFL. You can see there the list of openings right now. The Jags, Chargers, Falcons, Lions, Jets, and Texans. So the question is, which coach in college would be a good fit for which job in the NFL? I'll ask each of you to give me one. Pollock, what do you got here? I think I look at the Jacksonville Jaguars having the number one pick. It's probably going to be Trevor Lawrence next year. I think it's a, it's a fit that might lend its way to Urban Meyer. I think – a ton of picks, you know, two first-round picks, second-round picks next year. I mean, just uh, a loaded budget with over $100 million to spend. I mean, this is a situation that a lot of coaches would dream about being in. It's a great situation to win right now. So I think Urban Meyer's name will be mentioned. I wouldn't be surprised if he got the job and went to Jacksonville. Great. And a, and a nice lake house, about 45 minutes outside of Jacksonville, too. Might 
have an impact on that decision for Urban Meyer. The person that I'm going with, it's Lincoln Riley. I think he's the best offensive mind in college football. Continues to put defenses in conflict over and over and over again. To see what he could do with Deshaun Watson in Houston makes me really excited. Ooh. We all know Lincoln Riley. Everyone thinks he's going to be a Texas. You know, he's from Texas, from Mule Shoe, Texas. Well, everyone thinks he's going to the Cowboys. Why don't you just go to Houston and go work with my man Deshaun Watson? That'd be a match made in heaven. Hey, those are two real easy picks, but guys, buckle in for this one. How about this? Northwestern's head coach, Pat Fitzgerald, to the Detroit Lions. That's right. You ain't see that one coming, did you? That one came out of left field. I love the way <laughs> Coach Fitzgerald gets his guys ready. They're sound. They're disciplined. He's hard-nosed. He's smart. He got a high IQ. He's exactly what they need in that region, too. Hey, he coaches in Chicago. He's very comfortable in that environment. I would love to see Pat Fitzgerald with the Detroit Lions. Look, I give Des the win here for at least coming up with a creative answer. He went outside the box. We'll see how it plays out. Still ahead on College Football Live, we'll look back at some of the most memorable moments of the past college football season with our images of the year. It's coming up next. Take a look at our Progressive Bowl Challenge Cup. The Big 12 and the MAC are the only conferences undefeated in bowl games this season. Big 10 and SEC could break their tie now. Let's take a look at some of the best images from this season in college football. Enormous news that rocks college football. Both the Big Ten and the Pac-12 decided to punt on the season. It certainly has the potential to snowball. If numbers are escalating, college football is not going to happen. All the momentum was going the wrong way, but we were like, hey, we, we want to play. We want to play no matter who it is or where it is. We're holding this together. There's going to be some wild turns this year. Many thought that we weren't going to see college football. The most unpredictable season. We didn't know if we were going to get here, but we are here. College football is back. That was an unbelievable catch. Oh, my goodness. What a tackle by Scholar. We go to a fourth overtime. No fear of the fight in front of me. They're creating change by actually going out in the community and making sure that action is happening. You're supposed to love one another. You're supposed to be there for one another. You guys are special group. I've said Penix back, steps up, opening, rolls near side, goes to the corner, dies in the corner. He didn't get there. No, they say he did. I just want to tell all the girls out there that you can do anything you set your mind to. It's the Mormons versus the Mullets. Last chance. Mill the catch. Russell down on the two. Coastal wins it. Coastal football's here. We're here to stay. So that would be called the triple doink. Big spike. Shades of Dan Marino. Oh boy, we got some sprinklers going off. It's 2020, Kurt. Good job, guys. If you come together, nobody can stop you. There is an empty space for number 65. That is the number that John Slarman wore. He told me what it meant to be a man. If I can get back on the field, then I'll know that I've beaten cancer. Culpepper for the touchdown. Everybody has had this game circled on their calendar. Look at the shotgun. Throws into the end zone. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Ball pitched behind. Game over. Notre Dame knocks off number one. It is good. This game is over.
You're reminded this is a season that we will never forget. But it is not a season that's over yet. We still have a national championship game that is one week away and a whole week of college football live. So, gentlemen, get ready to keep breaking this down over and over and over again. David Pollock, Greg McElroy, Desmond Howard, I'm Jason Fitz. We appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Be sure to check out ESPN all week to get you ready for the college football playoff national championship game one week from today.